Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be in Second Corinthians, but uh, uh, some of the things that went on this week is uh, I read an article by uh, uh, Coach Dave Dubenmeyer, uh, who writes for News of Views, as well as I've written for News of Views. Uh, really should be probably sending him more articles on a regular basis, but I responded to, to the coach, and... Uh, and his article, and uh, it suggested some thoughts that I also shared with everybody that's on the network. And uh, the the network is the Living Network, and it's uh, it's basically at the beginning, it's just everybody joins an email net, uh, group that is geographically uh, oriented to the area in which they live. If you live in California, there's a California group. If you live in Oregon, there's an Oregon group, and, and which actually right now includes Idaho and Washington. And, you know, I mean, if you're in Australia, you can join a group, etc. And uh, there's not a lot of conversation going on on the group because the most active people have actually joined what we really call the Living Network, which is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and forming congregations and picking a minister. That minister picks a minister, which is the way ancient Israel was organized. It's probably the way in which Abraham set up his altars of Abraham. Uh, certainly, there were other people using the same pattern all throughout history. Most people are completely unaware of it because it's just been removed from the history books. There are some historians that are rediscovering this and republishing. But the main uh, idea of history is you think, well, somebody got a king and we did what that king said. Or we elected a president and we did what that president said. And we have this very centralized view of governments of the world where somebody's in charge and everybody else obeys those people in charge or we create democracies and and then we elect new guys every four years or uh, every so often we create a new government and and then they run things and then we just go do our own thing and so we have this kind of view of that's what government is and that's not really what government has always been there has been free governments what they used to call republics, most people don't even know what a republic is today. And that's part of the problem with uh, Coach Dave uh, Dubenmeyer, uh, part of the problem with uh, uh, Glenn Beck. I, I also listened to a program, somebody recorded uh, his Hydra, Democ- Democratic Hydra, I think is what he calls it. You can look it up yourself. It's kind of an interesting, it's a two-hour special that he put together. And... It uh, runs through history of uh, some stuff that's been going on in America and in the world, all the way around the world for the last hundred or more years. Back to the 1800s it started. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a conspiracy theory, but it, he has a lot of facts and information with it. And it's worth listening to if you want to go look it up. Don't accept everything as gospel. But then most of what you're taught in the churches as gospel isn't really gospel either. <laughs> so, you know, you you need to try to find out what the whole truth is. 
uh, even though he does give you some kind of an insight in in his, so you can go do that on your own into your own study time to look up uh, Democratic Hydra. I'm pretty sure is what they call it, and uh, it's with Glenn Beck, and it's kind of interesting. The solution, though, is to actually do what Christ really was talking about, and that's the same thing for Coach Dubenmeyer and uh, his thing. And what I had said when I I shared, you know, he talked in the first part of his article. He's a big sports fan, and so he's he's correlating, you know, uh, uh, different teams like the Browns and um, and uh, the Buffaloes and talks about the red zone and all this stuff, but eventually he gets down to, are we simply to count on Bill Barr and the Republican Party to get the ball into the end zone, you know, whatever that means, you know, I mean, he, these are all metaphors that he's using, and that's fine. He says, uh, take a quick look at the U.S. Constitution instead of focusing simply on the Bill of Rights. Take a few minutes to uh, read it all and ask yourself how the simplicity of the words uh, could become so misconstrued today. And he says, only lawyers could make a mess of a so simple of a document. Well, maybe. Uh, there are lawyers who kind of understand it, and there are lawyers who don't. Somebody's making a mess of the document. But, of course, we have looked at the U.S. Constitution in our, our series on contracts, covenants, and constitutions, and the book that we have free online on the U.S. Constitution. And, of course, we clearly show, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the U.S. Constitution is not a biblical document. It is not following biblical principles. Uh, it's it's not a bad document as government documents go. And there's uh, certainly, if you listen to uh, Glenn, Black, Glenn Beck's uh, Democratic Hydra, he'll show you how there's a lot of people out there planning to rewrite constitutions all over the world. And most people don't understand the U.S. constitutions, its strengths and its uh, frailties. The, the, it's, its foolishness and fallacies as well as its, uh, uh, you know, fostering good, good ideas. There's, there's a mix in this institution we call the U.S. United States government. And one of the problems is that people don't understand what a republic is. You, you can hear it in Glenn Beck and you can hear it in other people when they talk about our, saving our republic. Your republic hasn't been saved. <laughs> the republic is almost all but gone. Uh, from the face of the earth, and you've moved over into what they call democracy, which none of the forefathers were really in favor of democracy. Democracy, even in the first part of this century, or, or, or in the 1900s, which I guess is, you know, in the, in the last century, democracy was a bad thing. It was, it was, uh, explained and defined as a bad thing in the U.S. military manual. You you didn't want democracy. Democracy was not a good thing. <laughs> but now, democracy is the answer to everything. And we show in our article at Preparing You exactly the history of the changing of the definition of democracy. We also show you the history of the changing of the definition of the word religion. How it was defined one way 200 years ago and it's defined a completely different way today. So if you don't look at the changing of the definition of words, 
you're not going to understand what they're talking about when you read historical documents. It's you're not because you're going to be using modern definitions for words that they were using back then. So when they talk about freedom of religion, and you don't know what they mean when they say religion, you won't understand that Social Security is a religious program. <laughs> it's public religion. Social Security, welfare, uh, Medicare, Medicaid are all public religion. That, and it, by the definition of religion just 200 years ago when this U.S. Constitution was created. But now I've thrown out things. And I, I'm not disparaging the U.S. Constitution. It has validity. It has some value. But if you don't understand where it sits in the scheme of Christ, in the scheme of history, in the scheme of God's creation, you're not going to understand where its weaknesses are at and they will do an in-run around you <laughs> and you will lose the game. Uh, using some of Coach... Uh, Dave's uh, metaphors. So, what we're trying to do is fill in a lot of those gaps. Uh, I can't fill them in. I can't fill all of them in. But I can tell you this, that, you know, go if you go listen to Glenn Beck's Democratic Hydra, or go read uh, at News of Views, uh, Coach, uh, actually we have links in preparing you, and when I put up a post, uh, on the subject, I had links back to his article, so you can go read the whole article. My comments on on the article were, you know, basically I quoted what he said towards the end of his article, where he says, The courts are corrupt. Public education is socialist indoctrination. The media is laced with liars. Money rules in the halls of Congress. The government military complex is a money laundering operation. I mean, they're, they're missing billions of dollars in the Ukraine. They're missing billions of dollars. What was it? Uh, oh, I was trying to think of the name. There was a recently a black congressman from somewhere back east and uh, he, he died and then suddenly there was evidently $13 billion missing, somehow related to him. And nobody seems to know where that is. Uh, they don't know where the $7 billion that went missing in the Ukraine is. And nobody seems to care. I mean, there was billions of dollars missing. It was announced just before 911. Uh, billions of dollars missing in the Pentagon. And suddenly 911 occurred and nobody asked about what happened to that billions of dollars anymore. <laughs> So we're talking billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars and eventually you get up into real money where you're talking trillions of dollars are just flat out missing. You know, if you're absconding with a billion dollars, you could pay a couple hundred thousand dollars to some people to look the other way. And they would. And... They they don't care what happens to the rest of the country because they don't care about the rest of the country. They just care about their couple hundred thousand dollars. And somebody else gets away with millions of dollars. And this is pervasive. And the reason it's pervasive is because all the people claiming to be Christians are not really Christians. All the people claiming to be Jews and followers of Moses and Abraham are not really followers of Moses and Abraham. Even Muslims who claim to be followers 
of Muhammad, they also therefore claim to be followers of Moses and Abraham, because they see these as a progression of prophets, they're not really following them. Because none of these people who are all occupying seats in governments all over the world are really honest. And we could probably say the same of the Buddhists. At least the communists claim to be atheists, generally speaking. <laughs> you know, and, and so they, they're at least being, you know, that was one, uh, it was a Dr. Schwartz who wrote a book years ago. I met him once uh, at a Thanksgiving dinner and, and his book was, You Can Trust a Communist to Be a Communist. And at least we can, you know, they tell you where they're coming from and where they're going. Although today, most communists, most of the people in America claiming to be communist sympathizers don't really even understand it. Because they don't understand anything about history. They are completely ignorant of of history. Your kids graduating from high school, graduating even from college really don't know history. They don't know what the road of bones are. They don't, the, Many of them don't even know what the Holocaust was or how it came about. And the Holocaust was not just six million Jews. It was millions of, upon millions of people. The Romas, who were, uh, we call them gypsies a lot of times, they were annihilated by the the tens of thousands and put in work camps and died in work camps. And... Um, were probably executed as well as uh, other people that were executed. And they're completely unaware of how this came about. If you're a real Christian, you should be able to see the sign of the times. Christ talked about this. You should be able to see what's coming because you you see things spiritually. And so we're going to talk about a lot of things and we're actually going to get into the sweet savor and the bad savor of the world today. What is sweet savor? What is bad savor? What is the stinky stench of the pit? And where is it coming from? And how is it permeating into our lives and into our society? And Coach Dave was, you know, he's noticing that, uh, you know, the government military complex is this money laundering and the courts are corrupt and pastors preach pablum. I'm quoting him here. The Pope is a commie, uh, secrecy. And actually that, that's a fact is that the present Pope is very communist in, in his philosophy and orientation. He goes on, secrecy in government affairs is repugnant. Uh, truth has fallen in the streets. How can we possibly recover? He goes on to say, take your eyes off of the government for a minute. Well, take your eyes off of what government? The government of the world is what he's talking about. Because Christ preached a government called the kingdom of God. So you don't want to take your eyes off the kingdom of God. That's why you're in trouble. Is because you took your eyes off the kingdom of God and put your eyes on the kingdoms of the world. The governments of the world. And anyone who knows the different definitions of the word world that we see in the Bible know what I'm talking about. If you're new, you may not know. You might want to look up our article on world at Preparing You and find out what I'm talking about. But anyway, Coach goes on to say, do you have a plan? Do you have a network of people with whom you can hunker down if things turn dark. 
Do you expect the government to come flying in and rescue you? Or are you making plans with friends and neighbors to coalesce around a community plan? Are you and your family ready for the trouble that is coming? So he sees trouble coming and he's asking what your plan is. He goes on to say, what are you waiting for? No, who are you waiting for? Do you have your lamps trimmed? Referring to a quote in the Bible. Are you helping others to do likewise? What if you are the one that others are looking towards? Failure to plan is planning for failure. Now is the time to prepare. So what is your plan? So anyway, what I wrote back to the coach is basically, you know, I expound on it here in on our page at Preparing You, which is actually, I, I entitled the page Coach Dave Dubenmeyer. I should tell a little bit about him uh, on the page, but I haven't got to that point yet. I was waiting for him to write me back. He's written me before to try to get his response because I I said a better question is what is Christ's plan? Because this is where the church don't really understand what Christ was telling the early church. And they don't understand what the early church was doing. And they don't even understand how that's important today because what was going on in Rome way back then is going on today. That's that's the conspiracy. It's a conspiracy of the heart. And it's a conspiracy of the mind. And unfortunately, most Christians, God is not writing on their hearts and their minds. But the evil is writing on their hearts and their minds. And false religion is covering that over. And we need to repent of that. But we don't even know we need to repent of that. Because we don't know what's going on because of those ministers out there that the coach talks about are preaching pablum. They're preaching, oh yeah, you give a little charity and then God loves you. And you say these magic words and God loves you. Because you've accepted Jesus in your heart. But have you really? Because Jesus warns that all kinds, many people will think they're following him. They will think they're Christians. Many, he says. But they're actually workers of iniquity. And we we show this all the time. But we're going to show it here in relationship to the coach. And one of the things I point out, and I have all kinds of links on this page that uh, will take you to articles on what a republic really is. See, in a republic, your leaders are not lawmakers. In a republic, your leaders are titular. That means they're a name only. They don't make laws for you. They make laws for them. You know, how they do certain things. But they don't make laws for the people. Because you're in a republic. You're free from things public. That's what republic originally meant. And we can even show you, and we do in, in books like the uh, Thy Kingdom Comes and the Covenants of the Gods, which are also free online, that the history of this word republic, originally it meant, it was from a Latin idiom, libra res publica, meaning free from things public. But that changed even for Rome, just as it's changed for the United States that, and for the whole world. Originally, free from things public was the essence of a republic, but then it became res publica, things public, and, it, and Tacitus talks about 
the fact that this original idea where you had a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, where it was not a democracy where 51% of the people could take away the rights of the other 49, because that's one of the bad things about a democracy. The other bad thing is that those 51% can now vote in benefits for themselves at the expense of others. And, of course, that's what we see going on today. Coming out, of all of our high school kids, all of our college kids are coming out thinking it's a good thing to take from your neighbor to get benefits for you. Even if you borrow against the future to get those benefits, you're cursing your children with the debt that you're borrowing. But you get your benefits today. And somebody else will have to worry about paying off that debt. But you're just thinking about yourself. And this is the problem. That's not a Christian way to approach life. To to put the burden on somebody else. Or to take away from your neighbor. To covet your neighbor's goods. To get benefits. That is totally anti-Christian. And if the Ten Commandments are laws, that's criminal. But it's legal today in most of the countries of the world. And I would even say all of the countries of the world. But not amongst all the people of the world. Because some of the people of the world do not want to covet their neighbor's goods. Those might be Christians. Of course, there's other parameters to being a Christian. But if you still want to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other, even though they call themselves benefactors, they actually just take from somebody else, either from your children's future or from your neighbor. You're not a Christian because you're not following Christ. You're not doing what he said. If you loved him, you would do what he said and you would not be coveting your neighbor's goods. Now, you might be calling yourself a Christian, but you're not a Christian. If you're desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And if you go back in history, and I've always quoted Plutarch. I love what Plutarch said, the real destroyers of liberties. Uh, of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits. That's the real destroyer of liberty. That's where your liberty went to. You listen to the uh, Democratic, Democratic Hydra that Glenn Beck talks about, and you will see those those real destroyers of liberty offering gifts, gratuities, and benefits like FDR and LBJ, War on Poverty, and all these kinds of things, Woodrow Wilson, all these guys, that that principle was laced in their political philosophy, and that's how they rose to power. Although Woodrow Wilson rose to power because somebody split the vote, uh, Theodore Roosevelt split the vote with the Bull Moose Party, and therefore, a guy who was not really very popular in America got into power. And he began to alter the course of history for everybody else. Because somebody split the vote and he got into power. And But he was following a particular spirit that we see. And it, you can go also, if you read the life of uh, Coriolanus, uh, which was written by Plutarch, about a hundred A.D. It was written by Plutarch, which is, you know, this is after Christ. This is in the early church. He was writing these things because this was the debate going on between the conflict of Christianity and the conflict of where Rome was going. He said that the man who first ruined the Roman people was he who first gave them treats 
and gratuities. That's So they knew that, that that ruins the people. And we can go back to the time of Polybius and he says that it would turn the people into perfect savages. I will be right back. Well, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. Evidently, I didn't hear the break coming up. Uh, I'm listening. <laughs> but, uh, so we were interrupted there a little bit. But uh, I was talking about this Plutarch who who said, you know, at the time of Christ in the early church was explaining to the people that the man who first ruined the Roman people was he who first gave them treats and gratuities. And that those people who spread amongst the people these bounties, donations, and benefits, welfare, whatever you want to call it, are destroying liberty of the people. They're destroying the right of the people to choose. This is the problem. When Coach Dubenmeyer is talking about all the things that he sees wrong in the world, the corrupt courts and etc., and the schools that are indoctrinating the kids, he is seeing the evidence of the problem and pointing out the evidence of the problem. He is seeing the the symptoms of the sin, if we may call it that. He is not actually talking very much about the actual sin. He doesn't mention the actual sin. It he to some degree, and you know, I'm not picking on the guy, that's why I wanted to have a conversation with him. He's pointing at what they're doing wrong. That's not going to solve the problem. Because the problem is what we're doing wrong. And Peter tells us. Through covetous practices they will make merchandise of you. He's pointing out they're making merchandise of us. But what he needs to point out is that. It's through our covetous practices that we are being made merchandise by them. So, you need to identify the problem. (laughs) It's like somebody comes in and he's lost blood and you immediately start giving him a transfusion because he's lost too much blood. But you don't do anything about the fact that he's bleeding. You have to to cauterize the bleed. (laughs) So, you have to address the problem so that it doesn't go on. And this is what we see all the time is that people don't address the problem. You know, like abortion. They see abortion as a bad thing. I see it as a bad thing too. But I know where it comes from. It comes from a selfish heart that is willing to kill others to make their life more comfortable. And they can rationalize, you know, is it a baby? Is it a fetus? Is it a zygote that's living in me? Or... And, but that's not the problem. The problem is you're a selfish individual. And nothing breeds selfishism more than socialism. Nothing breeds selfishism more than coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority, which is why Christ forbid Christians to be like those governments. Everybody who wants any socialist program to make their life better, where you take from your neighbor something, you know, taxes to have a public school. If you want to tax your neighbor to have a better public school, 
You're coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other to get what you want for free. You're not following Christ. And you're going to be changed by that. And and according to Plutarch, you're going to be ruined by that. (laughs) And John the Baptist told you not to do that. If your kids are getting educated at home and your neighbor's kids are not getting educated at home, help your neighbor educate his kids at home. Get together. Best way to get together is the tens, hundreds, and thousands and help him so that he doesn't have to send his kids to public school. Because public school is going to indoctrinate his children. No matter what what you do, your children are going to get indoctrinated because I have read the textbooks that they use in school. Even if the teacher's a nice guy, he's going to get indoctrinated because the textbooks are missing huge portions of history. And they don't even study history in in the schools anymore. Not real history. At first they took all the history out and now they're feeding back fake history. But Polybius said the same thing. The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence. John the Baptist said, don't use force. The whole world was using force. He said, don't use force. Share. Use charity. If you're still using force to get what you want, from society through any kind of government, you're not a Christian. You're not following Christ. You're not following John the Baptist. You haven't even repented yet. You may love certain aspects of Christ's character, some aspects of the story of Christ. You may love that. But if you're not doing the will of the Father, if you're doing contrary to the will of the Father, which is what Cain did, force his will on others, you're not, you're not forgiven. You're, you haven't repented yet. You have to repent and then seek this kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is people sitting down in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of all the social welfare for each other through faith, hope, and charity. That's the kingdom of God. You cannot do that unless you are changed within. You don't know how to change yourself within so the Holy Spirit can come and help you change within. But the Holy Spirit won't come unless you repent. What do you have to repent of? Coveting your neighbor's goods. Forcing your neighbor. Bludgeoning your neighbor. I mean, you don't actually go over there and hit him or arrest him or throw him in jail. But if he doesn't contribute to your free school, you're going to take his land away from him. If he resists, you're going to have somebody come down there and bludgeon him and and throw him in jail. That's the system you've created. The Constitution didn't create that system, but you've created it because the Spirit has gotten into you that says that's okay. And it's gotten into you in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's appealed to your greed and avarice, etc. But, you know, like I said, Polybius went on to say that people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others, which is what's happened in America and all the other countries in Europe and all around the world, some to a greater extent, some to a lesser extent, but it's everywhere, it's pervasive, accustomed to feed, get those benefits at the expense of others, 
and depend for their livelihood on the property of others institute the rule of violence. And now uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate. The people literally degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. And of course we see Antifa and we see these other groups out there and they, they're calling for this violence. They, they, they're, they're like savages. They're, they're like crazed uh, animals. And of course now if you go, you, there's hearings going on and you can go, uh, the impeachment hearings they call them. It, it's, it's a complete circus and travesty. And I, you know, I don't want to be defending Trump or anything, but the reality is that it's a, it's a travesty no matter who we're talking about. But that, you can go watch that if you want. I find it, you know, very difficult to even watch. I mean, it's like going to the gladiatorial games and you can put your thumb down <laughs> and curse this person or curse that person. But who wants to follow what John the Baptist was doing? Does Coach Dubenmeyer want to, you know, does Coach Dave want to do what John the Baptist was doing? Take care of all the social welfare in this little network of people not depending at all upon government. He says, don't look to the government. Are you looking to the government for your social security check? Are you looking to government for your Medicare, Medicaid? You know, I just had some health problems, serious health problems. And I never went to the doctor. I, I had some of the same similar problems, not nearly as bad, years ago. And I went to a doctor and it was a total waste of time. And I ended up resolving the issue on my own by listening to the Holy Spirit and following the guidance that... God would offer me. Well, that's what I did this time. I, didn't, I just didn't even waste time going to the doctor. <laughs> so anyway, I shared with the ministers that little thing, actually just this morning, because somebody else was having the, a similar problem. And so I thought, I'll share it with the ministers, and they can share it with their people when they see this same kind of problems arising. There are other solutions Far cheaper than going to a doctor. Far better than going to a doctor. Not that I, I'm against going to a doctor. I'm, I'm against not listening to the Holy Spirit. And you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. So anyway, so I've mentioned a number of different articles, our Plutarch article, our Polybius article, our John the Baptist article, you can, or your coach Dave, uh, Dubenmeyer, you can go look at that, cause there's all kinds of leaks and that will take you to other articles all over the place. But the plan of Christ was, and this is what he commanded, that you sit down in these tens, hundreds, and thousands, and you start practicing pure religion by taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, and not looking to the government temples of Rome, which was where they ran their welfare state, where you could get free bread if you were hungry, and they actually at one time were giving out a universal health care, uh, Roman universal health care. They had that under Nerva and a few of the other emperors. And, of course, they were bankrupt already uh, because of other corrupt influences. And But most people don't see all this history. They can't, they can't get... They get the pieces of the puzzle together and they try to create a picture of what's going on. And Glenn Beck did a pretty good job, but he's missing huge elements. I'm not saying he's missing them in his heart. He just hasn't got all the pieces of the puzzle yet. All the pieces of the puzzle are available uh, for you if you are willing to seek them. 
that's why we created the Preparing You website and HisHolyChurch.org website. And we'll hopefully we're going to create more of these things, God willing. And But you have to sit. If you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you will not receive the renewing of the mind. Nobody got any loaves and fishes until they sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. So that they created this network of people that were learning what it was to be a real Christian. You had to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. That's something you have to practice. If you don't, you become those perfect savages that Polybius talks about. But when you practice that pure religion... Then the Holy Spirit will enter in and awaken you to all sorts of new information. You will hear the same words and get a new meaning to those words. And, and Peter talks about it in 2 Peter 2.20. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world, remember I mentioned the word world, that word that you see there is constitutional order or system of government. The pollution of a government that exercises authority one over the other, that takes from their neighbor, that gets the habit of getting benefits at the expense of others. This is what he's talking about. That's the pollution of the world. And they, Christians were escaping that because they were leaving the system of Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect and moving into the, the system of Christ the sacrifice of Christ that was making the word of God to effect, and it was awakening them and showing them. But he, Peter is saying that even though you were escaped from this pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what he was really saying to do and repent of, they are again entangled therein and overcome, and the latter is worse with them than the beginning. Peter's telling you that's what's going to... He's saying you're going to be made merchandise because of your covetous practices. You're going to curse your children with debt because of covetous practices. Peter tells you all this. Your preachers read that, but they don't understand what he's talking about. What it is is all these modern Christians have become accustomed to receiving benefits at the expense of their neighbor through men who exercise authority one over the other. Completely forbidden. By Christ. But they don't see it. Well Christ appointed to his little flock a kingdom. And they were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. Through this network of charity. If you're not doing that. You're not doing what the early church was doing. If you're just going to church to get your ears tickled. Lots of luck with that. You're not going to see what's going on. The coach sees what's going on. He even says. you know, He talks about network. Of course, Christ commanded that we organize a network. The other people, you know, they see us putting a network together. They say, there's nothing in the Bible about a network. Commanded. Christ commanded his disciples to make the people network together in tens, hundreds, and thousands. He commanded that. The only place he commanded his disciples to actually do something. Use the word commanded. <laughs> so, so, I mean, like, and, and you didn't know that. You know, you're content with the wages of unrighteousness. We have another article. What are the wages of unrighteousness? That's those benefits that Plutarch was talking about, Polybius was talking about, John the Baptist was talking about, that come not through charity, but through force. 
you start living by charity, your whole life will begin to change. The whole way of life will begin to change. But anyway, we were going to talk about Corinthians. And actually, I was going to talk about sweet savers and sour savers. I mean, smells, scents. I mean, we hear people use these metaphors, you know, like something stinks in Washington, D.C. Something's rotten in Denmark. You know, something's going on that's not good. And back when we were talking about in Second Corinthians, there were a number of places that it talked about uh, a sweet savor. Second uh, Corinthians 2.14, 2.15, 2.16, right on through. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest a savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Okay, now when I read this before, I kept saying savior there instead of savor. Even though I have a footnote on the page that, and, and I actually heard myself say it, I knew something was wrong with what I was saying, but I think this is actually a spiritual like a Freudian slip. Because, you know, if, if you read it in the next verse, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. That odor. What is he talking about? We're the odor of Christ, savor of Christ, sweet odor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. And then he goes on and uses the word again, to the one we also are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? The, everything in the physical realm has a corresponding spiritual existence. It is the spiritual that giveth life to the physical realm. There was, there was no form. On the, and there was darkness on the deep. And God breathed. And breath is associated with spirit. And that breath moves things into existence. And so when we are talking about these spiritual things, which if you don't live in the spirit, you don't understand spiritual things. But we can only talk about them and relate them to you by talking about physical things. Which is... Why Christ, when he came out of the grave and walked up to the apostles in the locked room, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about when he says this, receive the Holy Spirit by breathing on them? The the breath is associated with this spirit that is passing from him to them. Just, if you just breathed on anybody, doesn't mean they will receive the Holy Spirit. You have to have a place in you that will receive it. You have to be able to take that Holy Spirit in. And I tell you, this is, by the, the breath of the Holy Spirit, you cast out demons. Because the demons hate it. Why? Imagine here another metaphor. Christ, God, is white light, pure light. He talks about himself being light. And then he talks about darkness. Darkness is less than light. If you walk out of a really, you know, bright outside and you come into a room that's not well lit, it will seem very dark until your eyes adjust. And then you will be able to see pretty clearly in that dimly lit room because your eyes adjusted. 
if you live in the 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 room, you'll think that light for a long time. You'll think that in this realm, this is the way. This is light. Now you go out into the bright light, and you can't see there until your eyes adjust. So Christ is this complete white light, has all the frequencies and light, and something less. If you take out one of the characteristics of Christ, you have less light. It will still seem light, but it will be less than Christ. It's not the whole truth. Christ is the truth. He's also said, you know, I am the way and the light and the truth. That way, that light, that truth, if you take out some aspects of the way, some aspects of light, some aspects of truth, you have a lie, (laughs) you have darkness, darker than light, and you are going to lose your way. You, you, you are not the, it's not the whole truth. So you want the whole truth. And the whole truth is you cannot live by force and be following Christ. You cannot be coveting your neighbor's goods and be following Christ. You cannot be a socialist and a Christian at the same time. You're going to have a different savor. You're not going to have the savor of Christ. Something's going to stink. Something's not complete. Sound, um, savor, smells, these are combinations of elements. And if some of the elements are missing, you're going to end up with some, if, if you've supplanted some of those elements with foul elements, you know, like I, the doggy do cake, finest chocolate, finest flowers, finest eggs, but then we mix in a little doggy do. Ruins the whole cake. You don't want to eat it once you know that's in there too. Uh, so it's the same thing with the smell of Christ when he talks about, Dubenmeyer talks about preachers preaching pablum. They're not preaching the whole Christ, the whole message of Christ. They're not, the churches are not being what the early church was. You, you wouldn't need to create your own little personal network of buddies to survive the coming Holocaust if you were all Christians. You would not only have your local neighborhood Christian buddies, but you would be connected to thousands of other such buddies in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and ten thousands, and hundred and forty-four thousands all across the world. You would really be Christians. You wouldn't have any Pope. It would be from the bottom up. But your altars of clay and stone, your living altars of clay and stone would connect you to all the other living altars of clay and stone. And like in the days of Abraham, when Abraham had to go save his nephew, you would have allies coming from every different direction to help you. Because you would be a part of the body of Christ that is bound together not by the entanglements of the world, the covenants, contracts, and constitutions of the world, but by the Spirit of God, which came not to be saved, but to save others. That's the purpose. If you're not gathering in a group to take care of one another and to save one another and to help one another and to serve one another, you're not gathering in the name of Christ. And you're not going to have the saver of Christ. You're not going to smell like Christ. You're going to stink. It's not going to be sweet. You're, you're not going to have the whole truth. 
So anyway, that's that's what Paul is talking to people who are actually doing that. They're not going to get the free bread of Rome. They're gathering together and not only taking care of one another in Corinth, but they're sending aid to Jerusalem. Who's sending aid to Syria? Who's getting aid from Galatia? Who's sending aid when it's necessary to Ephesus? They're all helping each other out because that's the kingdom of God because there is another king, one Jesus. It's all there in the text. But nobody puts it together. You don't need a new plan. You need to follow the plan of Christ. And that's what they're talking about in Corinthians. And that's, and they're talking to people who are actually doing that. If I went to local churches around and told them about this, they would go like, what are you talking about? No, we're supposed to get our, our welfare from the government. You know, we just come to church to pray and to sing and to feel good about whatever it is that you want to feel good about. To imagine that we're saved. Because we believe in Christ. We do great things in the name of Christ. We have big altar calls in the name of Christ. But Christ is going to say, get you from me because you guys are still being workers of iniquity. Because you aren't really taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Like John the Baptist said, like Jesus said, like Paul said, like Paul was doing. Your home churches are just as bad. You know, if you're just a little home church or a couple home churches, you're not the tens, hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, hundred forty-four thousands. You are not learning the song of Moses. You are not learning the song of the Lamb. You're missing some of the notes, some of the basic notes. That's a, the same thing we see in odors, and, and you know because this is an analogy. The odor of the savor is an analogy of what goes on in the spirit. If you're missing elements of the spirit of Christ, you're missing Christ. If you take out some of the truth, it's a lie. Your Christianity is a lie if you've taken out some of Christ. If you're not doing what the whole church was doing, the early church was doing, your church is not the church established by Christ. And that's where we're at today. That's To some, that's bad news. To others, that's the good news. All you have to do is repent, change. Start loving. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, uh, I, during the break I was noticing that the, the coach has a couple of different emails. I probably should have emailed the other email that I used to have for him. <laughs> and maybe I would have got a response by now. But maybe we'll send him a copy of this program eventually and... Uh, and uh, other things and uh, see if we can because he has a lot of the kingdom tracks he sees a lot of things uh, I, I, but I, and I I know iron sharpens iron so you know the fact is he's a pretty strong minded individual and maybe we can learn something from each other uh, just at the end of the last uh, part of the show I uh, was quoting from Ephesians 5 2 and it talks about the and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us Coveting your neighbor's goods, electing governments to exercise authority one over the other, uh, ruling over your neighbor is not walking in love. The same word love that we see there is also translated charity when Paul uses the term. So this idea of walk in love 
is what the church really should be doing. And not, not the pablum love, you know, but real love. Uh, and real love, like I say, is a utility. It's a power. It's a force. So he says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. How did Christ love us? How did, you know, it says, love thy wives as, as Christ loved the church. So how did Christ love the church? What did he do? He had given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Christ came to sacrifice himself, not to save himself. And that's why I say that we need to gather to save one another. That others might be saved. Uh, not just save ourselves or a our couple of our buddies and those who love us. We can't just love those who love us. So if the church was really doing what it's supposed to do, if all the people who say they're Christians were really doing what Christ said to do, you wouldn't have the problem that you're having today in the world. You wouldn't have, they would not be able to brainwash the public. You would have a force moving through a vast network of real Christians, true Christians, that would stop the enemy in their tracks. One of the things that uh, the coach also says, and since we've talked about him already before we get into 2 Corinthians again, is that, uh, you know, he has a, originally he has past the salt ministries. I think, I don't know if that's original, but that was an earlier part of, you know, because I've followed him off and on for quite a while. But uh, he talks about it, you know, to to wake up and engage the culture. And we need to engage the culture with the Spirit of Christ, which is different than a lot of other people might think because they don't really know Christ as well as they need to know Christ. And he says, by taking the fight to the enemy. But did Christ take the fight to Rome? No, he took it to the hearts of the people because that's where the enemy really is. See, that's where the the problem isn't abortion. The problem is the enemy has already infected the hearts of the people. So that abortion is the symptom of the lack of Christ in their hearts. That's what we have to realize. So the enemy is the absence of Christ. The way you take the fight to the enemy is you fill your own heart with Christ. How do you fill your own heart with Christ? Repent and actually follow the way of Christ. And then you will make a place in your heart as you clean out your temple with these false ideas of fake religion. And start getting pure religion in your day-to-day activity in the practices of pure religion instead of the covetous practices of the world. As you switch, as you repent of one and move towards the other, the enemy is driven out of your own heart and you become not just a light on the hill, you know, a candle on the lampstand, you become a glowing beacon of righteousness and and you're not the glow it's Christ in you that becomes that glow this is how you're going to fight the enemy you're not going to do it with you know shouts and screams uh you're going to do it with righteousness because that's also we're supposed to be repenting thinking a different way which is what I've just explained you're, you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God. That's the government of God, which is people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. And you're supposed to be seeking the righteousness of God. 
And that means you have to let the righteousness in you. That means you have to start forgiving and giving and laying down your life daily in sacrifice so that you may pick up life more abundant so that you may have something to share with one another in a way that strengthens the poor. So anyway, that's it kind of in a nutshell, and we can expound upon that. And of course, that's what Paul's doing in Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. He's expounding upon that. So we've gone through First Corinthians, the, the last paragraph of the third chapter, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And that's what I've been doing. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. The people didn't want to hear God on the mountain. They said, Moses, you go and then you tell us. And so Moses had to kind of, I'm not going to say watered down, but somehow or other he, he, he fed them at those who could hear what they could hear and those who could not hear he didn't feed them. But he also created his Sanhedrin, his 70 of men filled with that same spirit to keep reminding the people of exactly where we were going. Where is the end of this? What what are we shooting for? This society. Which is really. What Moses was setting up was a republic. Because the leaders of the Mosaic Israel. Were the Levites. Who were actually servants. Uh, they were not rulers. They were not passing new laws and statutes and everything. They were part of the appeals court. The cities of refuge. Which were appeals courts. Which, but the, even they became corrupt, just as, you know, Coach was noticing the corruption in the courts today. I mean, what was it? There was a judge who just ruled this week that, uh, the parents at, uh, at one of these school shootings could now sue the gun manufacturers as if they're responsible for the way in which the gun was used. And that's insane, of course. That's absolutely insane. I mean, if that were true, uh, you could, you know, if somebody picks up, uh, well, somebody here actually in our county picked up a barbecue fork and stabbed his neighbor with the barbecue fork, evidently got mad, probably too much beer at the barbecue, and killed him. Can you sue the manufacturer of the barbecue fork now? <laughs> because, I mean, he killed it with a barbecue fork. Uh, can, if somebody kills somebody with a car, can you sue the car manufacturer? No, it's insane. But the, they, they're savages. They, they're, they, they are mindless people that are going about, and they're, they're ruined. They can't think straight. They have no common sense. So, but so, courts can become corrupt. How do they become corrupt? And, the, of course, the Levites were also becoming corrupt. And this is why, you know, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they talk about how the, the courts were taking bribes. And they were becoming corrupt. The people could have solved that in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But they had to care enough about their neighbor in, in, in order to do what was necessary to solve that corruption that was coming in. Instead of doing that, in the way that Moses had originally showed the people, 
they decided to have a king. Now Moses knew they were going to have a king eventually. They would probably go that way. And he said, if you're going to have a king, a man who can exercise authority, one over the other, a chief executive officer, a commander in chief, if you're going to have this, you need to read him these rules every day. You need to write them down and read them every day. He's telling you what to put in your constitution. And he put down five things back there in Deuteronomy that you were to put in your constitution in order to be a biblical constitution. And I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to add it. You can go look it up in our Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. We explain all that. But those five things, only one of those five things are actually in the U.S. Constitution. I don't know if Coach Dave knows that. Now, we've been publishing it for years. We've explained it in detail. Only one of those five things is in the U.S. Constitution. And that one thing that is in that Constitution, they don't pay attention to anymore. And that's just the way it is. But the problem, again, is the spirit in the people. And I cannot change, I don't want to change the rules of the world. I, I certainly can't change the rules of God. But I can call people to repentance in their heart. And I tell you, if you sit down in the tens and thousands and start practicing pure religion, people will start to even wake up more and more. And I see in Coach Dave uh, the Spirit of God speaking. I just need to think he needs to step it up another level. And that's, of course, what we're trying to show people how to do. So I'm taking off that veil. And I'm taking it to the next level. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. This is the story of Christ. Christ took that veil away. Unfortunately, I don't know, unfortunately, but the reality is Christ cloaked a lot of this message in parables. And people have been able to turn the meat of Christ into the pablum of the world. And they are not preaching the truth because they're not preaching the whole truth. So in verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So there you have your solution. There is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the word there is eleutheria that we see in there. But but we'll talk more about that later. The Greek word is eleutheria. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from the glory to glory. And that we talked about that word glory last time. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You don't know how to change the way you think. We know repentance is changing the way you think. It's thinking a different way. You don't know how to think that different way unless it is revealed to you. That's why people are often frustrated. They try to explain this to other people and they you get the deer in the headlight look so they cannot get it. But there are people out there who are getting part of it and the coach is one of those. And, and he seems to be changing. Will he see the rest? I don't know. But he's not not alone. He's out there talking to a lot of... I mean, he has a whole website that talks about uh, being, you know, the salt uh, and brigade. I can't remember what the name of the website is. But uh, 
so he's talking about a brigade, which is evidently other people that are starting to wake up to some of these problems. But I'm telling them that if they really want to solve the problem, they have to focus on where the kingdom begins, and that's within you. And then how do we cultivate that kingdom within us? We sit down according to the commands of Christ in tens, hundreds, and thousands, which gives him his network. And we start caring for one another through faith, hope, and charity so that we don't have to look to the government, the bill bars, or to the social welfare systems of the government, or the public schools of the government, or the Medicare Medicaid of the government. We start taking care of it ourselves. That's going to be a big transition and process. But with that attempt of seeking, that process is the seeking of the kingdom. To do this all ourselves, we will be changed. Because right now we're we're just, I'm just explaining it. Like, you know, beholding (laughs) as in a glass the glory of the Lord. I'm telling you what the end should be looking like. Because that's what the early church was doing. That's why they were persecuted. That's the Christian conflict. We have an article on that. You can go read as well. So that you can understand where all this fits together. All these pieces of the puzzle fits together. But you will be changed into the same image of Christ. Christ will be written in your heart. His Holy Spirit will be. And that's when you start getting the sweet savor instead of the foul savor I see coming out of the modern church. So anyway, that's where we need to go. So now we're in Corinthians, Second Corinthians 4. And uh, I entitled the first paragraph of that, Earthen Vessels of Power. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. So many people have come. And then, you know, for one rational reason or another, or irrational reason or another, they fall away. Love persevereth. Don't fall away. Stick with it. Start caring about one another. The pace at which you care, the amount that you care, what you decide to share, what you decide not to share, that's going to be up to you in Christ, in the Spirit of Christ. We're not making you do anything. We're not the government of force. We're the other government, the government of love. How fast you walk, how strongly you walk walk in the ways of Christ, that's going to be up to you. But don't faint. Don't take your hand from the plow. Christ warns about that. Persevere. And, and you know, I mean, the twelve apostles, the little flock, they were appointed the kingdom because they remained with him. Stick with it. Don't be wandering off, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That it's a simple process. And it and it allows Christ to come into you as you sacrifice daily, as you walk in that sacrifice. He goes on in verse 2, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, which is the system of the world is so dishonest. You, you wonder why there's so many liars in Congress and uh, all these, these trials going on and people are just lying left and right. I mean, it's hardly, what do they say, how can you tell a politician is lying because his lips are moving. The dishonesty is everywhere. Not walking in craftiness, which is what you see them doing. Now, they're the extreme. You're doing the same thing in your local communities a lot of times. On a lesser degree, I wouldn't want to compare you to the wickedness we see in high places. But 
the same principle is still there until Christ purges it from your very heart. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That's those pablum preaching preachers who don't tell you what the real meaning of the word religion is. They changed it. And like I, that's why we have an article on religion and pure religion so you can see when and how they changed it. And how, then hopefully with Christ's help you will see how that change makes a difference. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You get to decide. We don't exercise authority over every man's conscience. I encourage you not to take your hand from the plow. Once you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you stick it out. If there are people in your midst that you do not think are of God, allow God to turn up his light in you. With forgiveness. You have to forgive them. And allow God to turn up his light in you. And if they do not change. They will leave. God will cast out the demons. You're supposed to be the light on the lampstand. You can't be the light on the lampstand. If you leave. (laughs) Don't leave. (laughs) So. But if our gospel be hid. It is hid to them. That are lost. Some people are not going to see this. Uh, when I say our gospel, Paul's talking about the gospel of Christ because he preached Christ first. In whom the God of this world, and then, you know, I, I don't know if I have in the article here, I should make that a live link so you can go see who are the gods of this world. <laughs> and I think the word there is age. Uh, it's not the, the word that means constitutional order and system of government, but the God of this world, which is actually a spirit that you see in George Soros and all these people that were mentioned by Glenn Beck in his uh, Democratic Hydra uh, series, which enough said about that, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. So obviously, the people that are the socialists, the communists, the Antifa people, a lot of the other groups out there, I don't know, you can put all kinds of letter names on them. They don't see. They're blind. But unfortunately, a lot of the pastors are blind too. They are the blind guides, just like the Pharisees were the blind guides. That's why they promote the Corbin of the Pharisees to take care of the religion of their congregation. When I say religion of their congregation, I mean the public welfare of their congregation. Religion was welfare. Christians were persecuted because they were private religion. They were a private welfare system. Even Justin the Martyr said, you know, we, we gather every week and those that have share with those that don't have enough. He's telling this, he's writing this to a letter to the emperor explaining how we practice religion. Well, how was Rome practicing religion? Well, you sign up at the temple, you get a tessera to identify you as a member of this temple or that temple, and when you needed free bread, you go to the temple and they give it to you. But you also get taxed. <laughs> so, that's, that's the Corbin of the Pharisees. It was a compelled offering. It wasn't the free will sacrifice that was mentioned in the Old Testament. and Because that's what the word Corbin means, a sacrifice. But their sacrifice is making the word of God to none effect because it was by force. 
You see? I mean, the, it's the same thing. If you have eyes to see, you can see this. Because it's, it's said there over and over again. So, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. They don't see it. They don't get it. They are content with living at the expense of others. They are content with their covetous practices. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves and ourselves, your servants of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. How are they servants? Well, you see, Paul, collecting funds and helping out this area that was having a dearth and moving funds from here to there to help out with these different dearths because there was global, there was climate change at that time and there were crop failures and there was starvation. And with that, there was also disruption in the economy. Uh, the government was bankrupt and operating on borrowed money, uh, especially after Nero. Because he absconded with huge amounts of that money. And, uh, you know, I, I guess he created, uh, you know, uh, a foundation somewhere and moved a lot of that money to his foundation. <laughs> you don't know how, how, uh, how amazing that is. I would fill you in on the blanks, but that's campfire talk. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the face of Jesus Christ, we can look on the face of Jesus Christ. Could you look on the face of Moses? No, because there was a veil over it. But Jesus took the veil off and said, you have to live by my flesh, by my blood. I was rich, but I made myself poor so that I could be both king and high priest. Even John the Baptist didn't figure this out on his own. He had to send messengers. He says, are you, because when he said, this is the one that come after me, he was talking about Jesus being the high priest, not Jesus being the king. He didn't know Jesus was going to be the king. He didn't know Jesus was going to be the Messiah. He had to send messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one? And he says, go back and tell him what you see. He wouldn't even tell him. I'm sure he figured it out. He had an inkling of it. He pondered it. But it was a huge thing. We're looking at all this after the fact. They didn't, the apostles didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know he was the Christ. They began to know that. And how did they begin to know that? How, who, who was the first to really know it? It was, it was Peter. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because you know this not because the flesh and blood has revealed it to you, but my Father in heaven. This is through revelation. It is that revelation that is the rock. Is Coach Dave receiving revelation? Is he beginning to see this? Will he continue to receive it? I do not know. How about you? Will you receive this revelation? That this is the way we are supposed to be. And so what is the next chapter called? You know, the power may be of God and not of us. That's an important idea at the end of the last chapter. The excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Next chapter, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. 
that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. What did he say? Lay down our life that we may pick up our life more abundantly. He's talking about, this is not going to be an easy road to go. It, and it will take a miracle to save us, like the loaves and fishes. But the miracle of the loaves and fishes would not come until the people, until the disciples, till the ministers of God's kingdom made the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So yes, Coach is right when he says network. But that network has to be more than just your local community. It has to be an international network of love. And the duty of that network is not just take care of one another when things go bad, but take care of one another on a day-to-day basis through the practice of pure religion instead of the covetous practices of the world that have now made you merchandise and cursed your children. Christianity is a big change. It's a different way. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of walking. It's a way of life. Be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, you know, he talks about the, the trouble and uh, perplexed but not despair. Uh, they're not quitting. They're not taking their hand off the plow. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Corinthians. And he's talking to Corinthians that have decided to live by faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. Who are deciding to eat the bread of Christ rather than the bread of Caesar. And they are taking care of one another and practicing pure religion. It's not like the modern church. Or just going down to the church to get their ears tickled and to receive some pablum. These people are eating the meat of Christ, the blood and flesh of Christ. They are taking care of one another entirely through charity. Not through the temples of the government of the world, but through the temple of the government of Christ. And those temples are made out of living stones. And the way they construct them is through the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And that's what they're doing. And that's why Paul knows who to go see when he goes to Corinth. And who to go see when he goes to Galatia. And who to go to see when he goes to Syria or Ephesus. And who... And he's going to guide somebody back from Corinth to give contributions in Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will take those contributions and send them out wherever they're needed because they are an international network of charity. Nobody's ruling over anyone. Everyone is acting according to their own God-given conscience. And as they do, their conscience is awakened. By the Spirit of Christ. This is the process of seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of Christ. But if you leave out that and say, no, I just want to keep taking government benefits and go to church and feel good, not going to work. So who do you sit down with? Do you only sit down with saints? No. Absolutely not. You sit down with whoever will sit down with you. Now he says here, he's telling you something, always bearing about In the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. 
So people are laying down their lives daily and something mystical is taking place, awakening not only their minds, but in their flesh, making them healthier. So then death worketh in us, but life in you, he says. Then verse 13, we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sake. And the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving, the word there is Eucharisteo, thanksgiving of our many rebound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So he's not necessarily just talking about life after death. He's talking about death to an old life and a rebirth in a new life, a new way, a new way of walking in love instead of walking in force. Instead of walking like Cain and Nimrod and Caesar, we're walking like Christ, taking care of one another. And something mystical takes place. We are blessed in mind and body. Now God can write upon our hearts and our minds new things, more information than we would have otherwise known. And so this, we're, we're come to serve and we faint not. Christ fainted not when he went to die that you might be saved because when he sealed the kingdom in his blood with the plaque saying this is the king of the Jews, this is the king of the Jews, this is the king of the Jews, on Pentecost all those who received his baptism were Jews. They were in the government of Judea and there you see the apostles working daily in the government temple rightly dividing the bread from house to house. But they were becoming a living temple because they they knew that stone temple would die. That Jerusalem and Israel are not a geographical location. They're a spiritual identity. And when Jerusalem fell and when Judea fell to the Romans, the real Judea, the real Israelites of God, the real children of God, lived on in what was known eventually as Christianity. Unfortunately, today, modern Christianity has gone the way of the Pharisees, the way of false religion. They're not doing what the early church did. They're not taking care of one another. They're going and praying to the benefactors who exercise authority and the fathers of the earth. Because they were not steadfast in the ways of Christ. They have accepted a false Christ. A false image of Christ created by the modern religion who says they're Christians. Some are starting to wake up. Now, let's go and continue that awakening process. Renewed day by day. And faint not. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What does that mean? Well, that's 
you won't know what that means until it does. <laughs> until it happens. And it's not going to happen unless you do what Christ commanded. And unless you start practicing pure religion. And start moving in the direction of pure religion instead of public religion. Start turning away, turning around, thinking a different way. We can do this ourselves, and we can do it better. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so what is he talking about? What's not seen? Spirit. If I breathe on you and say receive the Holy Spirit, do you actually see the Spirit? No, you you may feel the breath, but you're not going to uh, see the Spirit unless you receive the Spirit. In order to receive the Spirit, you have to let go of the Spirit of the world. What is the Spirit of the world? The Spirit of the world is force, fear, and violence, control, manipulation. That's why you see, yeah, there was a video that floated around on Facebook. I I thought it was just amazing. It was so funny. Where somebody was talking and arguing about something on the street and there's somebody all dressed in black, which is probably Antifa or at least somewhere apart that. He took, the guy looked away for a second and this guy took a sucker shot right for his jaw to hit him. But there was another guy standing there and he put up his hand and he caught the punch. And he just did it so quick and casual it was ridiculous. That, the young guy was putting his whole shoulder into the punch, but when he hit that guy's arm, it just stopped like it hit a wall, like it hit a brick wall. And the guy was a big guy, but it it looked a little surreal the way he stopped that punch. It just did not go anywhere. <laughs> and he saved the, the guy who was about to get sucker punched, who was oblivious to this punch coming. And he pointed his finger at the guy and you see a smile coming on his face like, you know, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Just a little scolding smile on his face. And on his shirt, it said, repent. <laughs> Written across his t-shirt. <laughs> and I thought, like, is that an angel in disguise? <laughs> and then the other guy who'd missed the sucker punch, he has this bewildered look on his face like he did not even see it. Somebody else saved you, buddy. You were making your argument in the flesh, but somebody else in the light saved your bacon. <laughs> but it was it was very apropos. But the reality is that the Spirit of Christ who comes to sacrifice himself that you might be saved. Everybody says, or saved because Christ died. No, Christ died that you might be saved. You can't be saved unless you repent. You don't even know what you're supposed to repent of because you've been listening to the Pablin ministers. You have to repent of your covetous practices, of the Corbin, of the Pharisees, of and also of your unforgiveness. You think you're forgiven? Christ said, if you do not forgive, neither are you forgiven. So it's very dangerous. And this I will point out, because it was, I, I can see it in the, the article that Dave was putting out there, and I'm not picking on Dave at all. But this is a danger. I saw it in Glenn Beck's thing, too, is that we're pointing at them as if they're the problem. I heard it on the news just before the show started. Pointing at abortionists as if abortionists are the problem. Performing illegal abortions or any kind of abortions, all of them are illegal in the eyes of God. But these, they're the problem. They are the symptom of the problem. The problem is Christ is not in you. Christ is not in them. 
You have no idea of the power of the Holy Spirit when it dwelleth in you. And you become the light. You know, I, I lived in a little cheap old apartment when I was uh, working on a boat down in Florida when I was living on a sailboat and I had to have the boat out of the water, so I was in this apartment. And the, it was a cheap old apartment in, in Florida. There were cockroaches. I mean, these things, i never seen them like that. They were the size of birds. If you just turned on the light, they would all disappear. They'd be fl- running everywhere. <laughs> All you had to do is turn on the light. And they'd run. And they'd disappear. And they'd be gone. You turn off the light and they're all back again. This is how you drive out evil. Is turn on the light. But you are not the light. Christ is the light. Christ in you is the light. How is Christ going to live in you if you are still coveting your neighbor's goods? If you are still unforgiving? You have to forgive your enemy. You have to love your enemy. That's how you fight your enemy. You're not with hating your enemy because they've done this and they take away my rights and they take away my freedom. You want to win. You need the love of Christ in you. The love of Christ was so powerful, the Pharisees stood far off. Christ had to turn the light down so that they could have the courage to crucify him. He had to put a veil on the light so they would have the courage to crucify. They could not have come near him if he shined his light out. He had to allow them to come in what they thought was darkness. But that's not how it works. I mean, this it, it's mystical, but it's also there's a physical reality that we need to conform to. We need to walk in the ways of Christ. What does it mean to be commending ourselves to every man's conscience? Why does he talk about that? Commending ourselves to every man's conscience. We allow you to make your choices. So when you sit down in a congregation of ten, and you say, well, this guy wants to do this and this and this, you don't have to do it. You have to do what God is putting on your heart and your conscience. And you say, well, I don't want to gather with him because I see he's got problems. If he's got problems, point him out. Say him. Speak up. There's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. You don't have to drive him out. You have to turn up the light in you. In order to turn up the light in you, you need humility. You need to see where you're missing the gospel of the kingdom. Where you're not, uh, where you're perplexed and are despairing and so you leave. Where you're troubled on every side, but not distressed. But you're distressed. Oh, I'm distressed because this guy is not perfect. And he's sitting in our congregation. So turn up the light. He will either leave or he will change. How do you turn up the light? You don't have the power. God has the power. You have to let Christ in you. It is a personal struggle to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. It will challenge you spiritually to do that. Unfortunately, many people meet the wall and then they say, I can't go any farther and so I'm just going to leave. This is why Christ said so much about those who make excuses of not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and then once they do, then they take their hand off the plow and they leave. 
We are all ministers of the of Christ. We are all candles in the darkness. We come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And the job of the minister is not to rule over your conscience. The job of the minister is to connect you with the next nine congregations. So that you don't just love those in your home church congregation. But you love the whole body. Because it's not enough just to love those who love you. You have to love the whole body. And there's a great danger in that little home church congregation that you will become content with your camaraderie and the fellowship with each other and never reach the fullness of the fellowship with God. Emotion is not spirit. Spirit and emotion are two different things. Spirit is of another realm. The emotions are of the fleshly realm. And yes, fellowship can bring about an, an emotional attachment and emotional bonds. But the spiritual bonds are the ones that hold in the face of all iniquity and wickedness. The rejection of the gospel is here traced to the willful blindness and wickedness of the human heart. I'm actually, that's actually a quote from Matthew Henry's concise commentaries and I, I put it in there so that you would connect with what this rejection of the gospel is traced to the willful blindness and wickedness of the human heart. How come you can't see that it is not like Christ to covet your neighbor's goods? How can you not see that when you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and develop an appetite for the benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence, that you are not changed. How can you not see that? History tells us that that's the case. Pagans will even tell you that. Certainly John the Baptist was warning you that. Certainly Paul, talking about the covetous, have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. People just don't see the fullness of the gospel. They're blind to the wickedness of their ways. They think, oh, no, this is the way we do it today. This is how we do it. But how can Christ live in such a heart? And there are emotional Christ you can put in there, and then people say, oh, you know, they'll get, they'll stimulate your emotion. Of course, they need music, and they need, they need big screen TVs, and they need uh, charismatic preachers. You know, who, speakers who will get you all worked up because it's Jesus is going to save you. But that's not the kingdom of God. And the world is spiraling down towards destruction. And most of the people will be pulled down in that same current. But all you have to do is change and God's miracle will start to take place. But now you know where you're supposed to be changing. You're supposed to be practicing pure religion. You're not doing that. If we go back to Second Corinthians 3.13, could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. What was abolished? The ways of force, the ways of Egypt. What was the ways of Egypt? You, you, when they went into Egypt, he, he, they had to sell themselves. 20% of their labor now would belong to the government. 
but the government would take care of your social welfare. But the burden got greater and greater, and the government got more and more corrupt. The, the new pharaoh didn't know the old pharaoh, and then he began to oppress the people. And how he did that, we've talked about that many times. But the reality is, it's worse with us today. I mean, nobody's, I mean, people pay far more than 20% because not only do you pay income tax, I mean, if Social Security tax is 14-something percent, and then you pay income tax, and then you pay sales tax, and then you pay gasoline tax, and then you pay property tax, even if you're renting, you're paying property tax in your rent. You're taxed far more than 20%. Because you've walked away from the ways of Christ. You, you, you're blind to it. You haven't been steadfast in the ways of Christ. And you've become merchandise. Because of your covetous practices. Because you desire all these benefits from a government that exists. And here, bless his heart, Dave is seeing this. He is seeing that we, we've got to take our eyes off that. But what we have to do is put our eyes on the real Christ. The real kingdom of God. And the real righteousness of God. Are you willing to do that? How many of the people... And your network has to be more than just your local community. It has to be the body of Christ. Unfortunately, the Pablum preachers he talks about, they are not it. But amongst many of those churches, in many of those places, you will find real Christians. You also find real Christians out on the streets. You'll find them all, you know, we're probably going to have to look in the hedges, like Christ says, because we need to be setting the table of the Lord. We need to be building the temple out of living stones. Men who have the courage of the conviction of Christ, not just their personal conviction, but the conviction of Christ. Are we willing to go that way? Which is the way of Christ. So anyway, uh, the word in the Greek is not normally translated abolished. In other translations, it is it appears as passing away. So the law of Moses was really the same that what Moses really intended before the Pharisees twisted everything you know where you started thinking stone altars I should put some links in there to stone altars and altars of clay what were they originally meant to be because over a thousand years there they twisted it until people thought we were actually supposed to pile up rocks and burn up sheep and then the modern Christian comes along and looks at the old Septuagint and they get the same idea. But we clearly show in numerous articles and books that are all free online that the altars of clay and stone were living altars also, according to the teachings of Moses. They had a purpose, a social justice purpose <laughs> that was based on free will offerings. Like I point out, the word charity doesn't show up anywhere in the Old Testament. But free will offering shows up, and that's kind of what charity is. is <laughs> so the Corban of the Pharisees was supposed to be free will offerings. At the time of Herod, they became forced offerings. And that was making the word of God to none effect. So now we've gone so far away from the kingdom of God, so far away from the ways of Christ, that when I point out what... Christianity should look like people go like I don't know about that that's not what I heard you know <laughs> well, what does your heart tell you are you willing to go the other way 
Are you willing to turn around and repent of the ways of the world? And so now uh, we, we're, we're coming on the fifth chapter. And the fifth chapter is a little bit longer, not much longer. It's only, a, what, three paragraphs also. And I've got several headings there. I don't know if we can get very far. I don't only have a few minutes left. But it, it, it says, Do you walk by faith? Is the first title that I put on the first paragraph. And the fact is, the modern Christian is not walking by faith. 90% of the time, they are dependent upon force. They are dependent upon the men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. If you don't know what that means, look up benefactors at preparingyou.com. They also, we're not to be calling any man on earth father. What does that mean? The emperor of Rome, who was the commander-in-chief of the military, army and navy, there was no air force yet, so he wasn't able to make fire come down from the heaven and the sight of men. But he did have an army and, and a navy. And he was the commander-in-chief. That's what imperator means. He was known as the Patronus of Rome. The father of Rome. Our father who art in Rome. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done. And so does thy benefits. Thy daily bread will come when I do the will of that father. But Peter says there is another king who says there is God the father who art in heaven and hallowed be his name. And your daily bread is supposed to come to from him to the ministers he appointed to the kingdom. But that's not what's happening now. So no, you are not walking in faith. You could. You can start repenting right now. Join us on the network. Join us at uh, hisholychurch.org or uh, preparingyou.com. We have a number of other websites, but join the network in your area. Get a hold of us and, and we'll start showing you the ways of the kingdom. Until then, peace on your house and may God bless you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.